0: This is Paradoxical, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. My guest today is Holly Whittington from Atomic Avocado Designs. Atomic Avocado is a family-owned business in Phoenix, Arizona, who specializes in mid-century modern design. I'll say stuff—that's not how Hollywood characterizes it—but they make all kinds of different things: signs, napkin holders, business card holders, uh, Christmas ornaments, nightlights. Uh, Keychains are the new thing that I just saw today, and it all has this very atomic mid century design ethos to it that is really, really cool. So, Holly's background has nothing to do with design, and her journey is a really interesting one that I think a lot of you will be able to relate to and take a lot of inspiration and ideas from. And so, without further ado, here's my conversation with Holly. Hey, Holly, how's it going?
1: Great, Steve. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Happy to have the chance to talk to you and to have you on. So to give a bit of background for those who are listening. Holly is somebody who I became aware of when I was actually looking for a new number sign for our house. The numbers that we had, were they're fine, but they're that kind of very clean, basic design that's become really, really popular and common. And I'm just enough of a rebel that I was like, that's too common now. I need something different. So I start Googling and searching and lo and behold, I come across on Etsy these really, really super cool Mid century house number designs and it's atomic avocado designs, and there's all these different designs and different color options. So I talked to my partner and she's like, Yeah, I like that, but I want maybe a little bit of a different idea about colors. So I message Holly and say, Could you do some different mock ups? And Holly was just amazing from a customer service standpoint. She's like, Fires right back, yeah, here's this one. And I'm like, Well, what about this? And I think I went through three or four different iterations, super patient and responsive, ordered to sign, it was shipped stunningly fast, packed incredibly well. And just the whole experience was really, really great. And so when I was going to be bringing the podcast back, I was like, I know one of the people that I want to talk to. So I'm super happy to have the chance to share what you do with the world and learn a little bit more about you and your background. So, So tell us the origin story of Atomic Avocado, because I know Prior to this, you were doing something really, really different. You were a funeral director, right?
1: I was yes, so I was a funeral director for over twenty years in two thousand and fifteen when our son was born. My wife and I we have a little baby boy, or we did he's still our baby boy, but you know how that goes. I was able to stay at home, so I was fortunate enough that that Don worked while I stayed home with him and um it was great. Those years, let me tell you, they went by really fast. And, you know, the more time that you you have with with family, the more you realize, I'm not going to be able to to have these moments again. And if I go back to the funeral industry, it's very demanding. 10 days in a row shifts. You're basically answering the phone 24 hours a day. And I really wanted a, a better work life balance. And, you know, anytime you're also at home, I, you tend to shift your focus. And I think a lot of my focus at that time, too, was on making the house a home and decorating and, and really accentuating the mid century modern aesthetic that I've always loved. You know, my, the first house I ever bought was a 1965 ranch in Florissant, Missouri. I absolutely loved it, really spoke to me. And and ever since then, I mean, gosh, that was 25 years ago. I've just always been drawn to that. So, you know, while I was at home with Luke, I would um, go thrifting a lot and try to see what treasures I could find. And to maybe make a little extra money, I learned how to refinish mid-century modern pieces the correct way. And it really kind of took off from there. You know, as they say, necessity is the mother of in- invention. I uh, wanted a cool mailbox for the front porch, you know, and wanted something that was different. So I began by essentially customizing a mailbox that was a nice bright orange with some classic atomic starbursts on them. And, and it fit and it was like, well, that's it. So, you know, again, if you can't find it, make it right. And so I eventually I shared that to um, a group called Mid-Century Modern Kitsch and it really generated a lot of interest. And a lot of people said, well, can you make one for me? And I'm like, hmm, I guess, why not? And they said, well, maybe you should open an Etsy shop too. I'm like, Etsy, what's that? You know? So here we are in <laughs> 2019. <laughs> yeah, 19. And so I started doing that and, and I offered different colors of mailboxes and things kind of just started gaining momentum. And I thought, well, there's gotta be more because, you know, again, I'm never settled. I always want to kind of curate my home and and I thought I really need a, I want a really cool welcome sign that really fits the time period of our house. You know, at the time we had a historic home in, in Central Phoenix. It was built in 1947, so I would consider it a, a mid-century modest. It wasn't exactly modern, but but again, the designs that I offer are meant to really fit in to any time period of house. They're meant to just change the tone just enough to give that extra accent where you can really get the vibe that you're after and, and give a presence that doesn't take much. Just one thing on the front porch can really set the tone for the entire feel of your home. I made a welcome sign and I made it out of wood at the time because I didn't have the equipment that I do today. And again, it was very similar to the mailbox. It was a boomerang. I put the words welcome on it. And so I started with with that and, and created a welcome sign. So those two paired together really um, just fit. And they gave me the, the tone that I was looking for. And I also shared that to social media. And again, that even got even more attention. Before you know it, I just went to Etsy and I just started creating an account, put a few designs on there. I will never forget the day that I got my first order. And I thought, Whoa, <laughs> am I really doing this? People actually want this?
0: How long was it between you opening your shop and getting that first order?
1: It was probably a matter of days. I mean, not even a day, I don't think. Because again, you know, the power of social media, when you share it to a large group that has the same common interest that, that you do, it creates a conversation. And um, people are like, I want that. And so I was truly humbled. And I said, well, you want it, I'll make it for you. <laughs> and I would say within probably a week, I probably had about 10 orders. And so I was just blown away. And And I was nervous. And I'll tell you, you know, since then, gosh, this is 2019. Here we are, what, four years later, I've learned so much. And and I, I kind of cringe a little bit too looking back and you think, why did I do it that way? You know, like, I'm just definitely, I'm always striving to make something better. And in order to facilitate that, you have to have the vision. You have to be patient. You have to admit that, you know what, I didn't do things the best then. I think I can do better now. And it's just progressed from there. And I I continue to, to have that same outlook. And I rely on my customers' feedback to tell me, first of all, what designs they're looking for, but also, what can I, I do to make this better? You mentioned a little bit ago, like even shipping and packaging. That's been a a big challenge. The post office, they are not kind with anything. I don't know what they do. When I pack things, I pretty much have to go ahead and expect that they're going to just drop kick it and run over it about 10 times because I can't tell you how many signs at first I had to remake because they arrived damaged. And so I can't put the responsibility on the post office. I have to take that responsibility and say, how can I package these differently? You also touched on customer service you know, being in the funeral industry, it is nothing but customer service. You know, we are there to help people through the most difficult time you can imagine. And they expect perfection and they expect your undivided attention, and you know, rightfully so. And so I've just taken that same philosophy into Atomic Avocado Designs. And when somebody does place an order, they've put a lot of trust in me to make sure that i'm going to deliver something that they want that is high quality that is really unique i take pride in, in what i do and if i didn't have my customers interested in, in these designs then i'd not have a leg to stand on you know i can only create so many signs for myself right <laughs> you know I, I changed my our front signs out like like shoes because i i like to switch things around but if it weren't for the customers i wouldn't be here today
0: but i have as we all, I think, have, especially post-COVID, have gotten all kinds of different things shipped to me from various parts of the country and the world. And for me, it includes things like guitars that are relatively fragile and they're not packed nearly as well as as our number sign was makes sense what you said about you've really tried to learn and bring this high standard to it and it absolutely shows in the packaging because it's just very thoughtful and thorough and it's the unboxing experience i'll say it's not quite at the level of say like an apple product but it's in the vicinity i mean it, it is definitely a similar type of thing where you're like it's an experience to actually open the thing, which is really, really cool, but also helps to protect the signs against the inherent challenges of something being shipped where any number of things could happen to it for sure.
1: Absolutely. And you can't go cheap, you know, you've you've got to spend a a lot of money to to use the right materials. And, you know, I I I just don't cut corners and I hope that shows. So I appreciate that feedback.
0: I want to look at the mid-century group that you are a part of and share this. And I think that gets at the the idea of finding a niche or a group right and, and mid-century folks of, of which i am one we can be kind of fanatic about things and we just really get excited about things like design so it's makes sense from that but for you like do you have a background in design or is this just a thing you were playing with for fun or like where does that come from
1: I don't have, I definitely don't have a, a trained background in, in design whatsoever. My background, I would say that is more artistic is I've always been a musician. I'm a drummer. I, I majored in it in college, took drum lessons all through high school. And so that was a very important part of my life. The very first job that I ever had really shaped me too. And and I was basically a backstage tech for like a concert and theater hall, if you will. And so it wasn't small it was a it was a popular large venue in Springfield, Missouri, and I was a backstage tech and so there's a lot of artistry there. there is a lot of lighting, a lot of set design, you know basically creating a story to tell and and that's exactly what I'm trying to do with these designs is capturing an era visually and functionally in one piece and so it's kind of hard to put into words, but it's just a feeling. And so that's probably been a, a big challenge for me because I don't have a, d- a design background or t- training is learning to design things in a um, software program on the computer. I get a lot of requests for custom and commission designs from my customers. And I think because I kind of do have that handicap that it's a long process for me to create a new design. And so I think some people are are naturally innate at it and they, or maybe went to college for that and and know a lot of programs, but it's definitely been something I've had to kind of learn on my own and try to Google and internet search the best that I, I could, but I'm still really learning how to design. You know, I just, the things that I've already made they do come to me but they've definitely taken a lot of time to really develop and curate so i hope as time goes on that things will get easier to do but so far so good so i'm just grateful that, that that people like them you know
0: so you you know you put up these couple designs people are like you should open an etsy shop you figure out what etsy is and open your shop and you start start getting orders and then so at what point did you get to where you're like wow this is This could be something like really substantive here.
1: I mentioned a little bit ago that the first signs that I made, they were actually uh, vinyl that was on wood. And I was starting to get a lot of orders. But I noticed that the longer I was in business, the longer these signs were outside, okay? And so I was getting some feedback, you know, six, seven, nine months down the road that, hey, you know, they're not quite lasting really as long as maybe I expected, you know, because anytime you've got wood outside, that there's, you've got to do a lot of things to, to really protect it. And and I thought that I had done enough by putting, you know, five coats of top coat and what have you. Anyways, that was not working. So I did not want to lose momentum. And I, everything I had ever made monetarily wise, I had saved. And I decided to invest in some other equipment that would help me cut acrylic. And so That was really the turning point. I I ordered, it's it's a very substantial, large machine. And again, I invested a lot of money into it and a lot of time, but it was a game changer. And that's what shifted my business. Once I got that machine, it took about three months to come in. I came out with about nine or 10 core designs. And I introduced those as the next level that Atomic Avocado Designs can offer you because I had done some research that acrylic is really the go-to material for sign making. And so that's what I did. I basically started cutting these signs out of acrylic and they, they last a lifetime. And so I've got signs that have been out in the full sun for four years or better, and they're holding up like a champ. And so from a long-term standpoint, things have just kind of snowballed. So then usually about once a month or it just depends. I kind of go in creative spurts, but I started introducing new ones and new ones and new ones. And again, the more options that you offer your customers, you know, the the more that they're even coming back for more. I get a lot of repeat customers as well. So that was really the pivotal point was really getting the right equipment, taking the time and the money to invest in what's needed to have the right tools to, to move forward.
0: How long did it take for you to recoup that investment in the equipment? Because it sounds like it was a pretty substantial one.
1: It was. Didn't take long at all. I think I had recouped it in a matter of about three months. So it was well worth it. And in fact, even now I'm considering investing in something even more, even bigger. I typically work about 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And I don't think I could really be any more productive. <laughs> you know, I want to always be, though, on the cutting edge and not get too comfortable. So I may look into that later this year or next, but... You know, we'll see. We'll see. Just stay tuned, right?
0: (laughs) Your Instagram is always fun because every time it seems like every time I look at it now, there's some new design or new you know new thing, new product. It's like, oh wait, now you've got napkin holders. I think was the the thing (laughs) I saw last week. I was like, wow, this is this is so cool. And you just kind of keep keep expanding. And I've been wondering, like, how is she managing to do all this? And it sounds like right now the way you're managing to do it is by working a heck of a lot of hours.
1: I do. I do. And it's almost embarrassing. I mean, in fact, that that's really another challenge is, you know, anytime you own your own business and you work from home, you know, you tend to to not be able to kind of separate your personal life from work because it's easy to to just run in here and and come do an order if I I get one, you know.
0: So with the hours that you work, which is quite a bit and the balancing of both The fact that you are again working out of your home and in your family, because you've got your young son. I'm curious about how you manage that balance and where and how do you say, you know, enough's enough? Like, how are you juggling that challenge right now?
1: Yeah, it it definitely is a challenge. And I mean, thanks to my wife, she's very good at giving me the flexibility that I need to to get things done because I do like to kind of finish the day with a clean slate and then start over the next day. But just shutting my phone on silence, like I have to pick a time, you know, I'm going to go in at five or six o'clock, shut it off. Any new orders can wait till tomorrow. You know, I can't say that always works. I am very guilty of still picking up my phone, maybe responding to somebody real quick. But, you know, I I really rely on her to just kind of uh, keep me focused and remind me that, hey, there's fun things to do in life. You don't always have to be working. Up until about two months ago, actually about six weeks ago, I had been working out of a garage in Arizona. And so it has been a very challenging time. It's it's been hot in the summer. It's believe it or not, it's cold in Arizona, <laughs> in, in the Phoenix area in the winter. And it's it's a it was a really hard working environment. It was dusty, it's loud. I also invested absolutely everything that I made into getting a new workshop built. In fact, it's more like a, I like to call it the studio now. i need, It's a little bit more refined, <laughs> but I will share photos mm-hmm. of, of that on Instagram later. I've got a few finishing touches, but that's been a game changer. I now have air conditioning, heat. I've got a finished space. I've got a bathroom. Like All of those things, you are of your environment. And I think it's important for everybody to have a nice, clean, safe, comfortable workspace in order to um, be as creative as you can, as productive as you can. And so, keeping up with the productivity, it's going to be so much easier now, and it already has been now that I'm I'm in this this new place, you know. And I'm grateful. Construction costs are very high, but it was it was worth it, and. I'm glad to make the investment. So, from going forward, I hope that I can start gaining even more momentum to, um, again, strike that work life balance. Cause it's kind of been a, a real push to get all of this done and it's been stressful. There's been a lot of workers here. It's kind of interrupts your daily life, but to kind of have things get into like a stable routine, I think that's really going to help strike that balance that I, I'm looking for while also not negating the quality that I'm, I'm able. To um, provide my customers and, and the timeline, you know, I still can pretty much finish every order at the end of the day, and I still have to pinch myself sometimes that so many people are trusting me to make a quality design. And and you hit on the price point earlier too. And I try to be very fair with the pricing. I also use the highest quality materials that I can find. I want somebody to open one of my products and say, you know what okay, now I see why this was the price and it was worth it. No regrets. And I think that because I do have a a large following and a lot of repeat customers, I I think that they do see the value. And I I really appreciate that because I'm very thoughtful about the pricing. I mean, I hadn't changed my prices for about three years and, and things, you know, supplies went up and I felt really bad to have to increase things just a little bit. But it really hasn't, you know, affected my base. So I, I'm grateful for that. So that keeps me going and, and allows me to to create even more new designs, you know. So let's
0: talk about psychology and money a bit here, because you've, you've hit on multiple areas where this, this comes up. One, what you were just saying with the pricing, but two, with what you, you're telling me is you've had a real willingness to invest significantly in your business. And what I see is often folks who have small or solo businesses tend to be very uncomfortable and anxious about doing that because they're really just concerned about, you know, having the cash, having that cushion. And so they hesitate to do it. You're seeing, it sounds like really good returns on these investments and anticipate with your new studio more there as well. But how, how do you go through the process of selling yourself on, yeah, this is a good investment of money, even though I'm taking a large sum of money and doing this and taking an element of risk. How do you, how do you sell yourself on that?
1: You know, I think you, you do have to, like you said, there's always risk in business, right? But you have to go into it, at least I have, with confidence and with a leap of faith, so to speak. You know, it's kind of like, I always like to think, you know, in the movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he is getting ready to kind of go out this cliff and he throws some sand out there. So it's invisible, but he throws the sand out and that he can see that, you know what, there is something to step on. And that's what you have to do with, you know, you got to spend money to make money. And like you said, a lot of people are nervous to do that, but it's the whole, if you build it, they will come type of thing. And there's just, there's no regrets there. There really isn't. And you've got to also be open-minded to know that, you know what, you're going to make some mistakes you're gonna lose some money I mean I've I can't tell you how many things that how many signs I've had to throw away that I've ruined that I've scrapped It's like developing a recipe and you're gonna have loss you're gonna have gains but as long as you kind of keep the momentum going um, I think good things are in store and and I and now that I've developed this business, I see things differently like when I wh- where we happen to live, there's a, a couple um empty storefronts and I think well, people don't want to open up shop there because rent is so high. But I honestly think that if somebody were to take that risk, rent it out, provide a a good service, like a good restaurant there, it would pay for itself. You know, it's, you just start seeing opportunities and it changes your, your train of thought once you're able to make something work. And, and, I honestly just think it's about having a vision in your head, you know, a, a dream, but making it a vision like a chess game. What do I have to do to get to that? I want to make that. What do I need? What materials do I need? What equipment do I need? What do I have to do to get to that final end result? And, and that's all I've done. It, it's not been magic or anything like that. It's just methodically doing what you need to do.
0: The things that I'm hearing here in, in listening to you talk about that are one, confidence, but then two, persistence, right? This willingness to try these things, to then learn, to evolve, to grow. I'm curious about those two things and like, are those characteristics you've always had? or those things you've developed? Where do they come from?
1: Well, I think, you know, being in the funeral service industry, there's definitely a, a sense of persistency in terms of, again, people expect, a really high quality funeral service, they expect a lot from you. And so you you simply can't give them an excuse, like, Oh, I'm sorry, we couldn't do this. You've got to make it happen. And there are no excuses, you know. And so I, I just think that my background has shaped me that whatever somebody wants, like whatever customers ask from me, I'm going to do whatever I can to make it happen. And so I think that's where the persistency comes from that, that you've got to problem solve because there's always problems. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's always problems, even with the, this equipment I talk about, you know, but you've got to persevere and figure it out and, and be resourceful and really not be afraid to ask for help, get advice from somebody, get on even groups on Facebook. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people are willing to help you. People like to help. And so again, I couldn't do all of this by myself. And, and I think that is part of the the persistency that there's always got to be a way to figure it out. Somebody always knows more than I do. What can I learn from them? And what can I help other people with who ask me for help? You know, goes both ways.
0: I think that that's, that's huge, <laughs> that willingness to seek support and ask for help. But also the thing I'm hearing here is for you, this, it's almost like failure is not an option. and And this, this idea that, there are going to be problems. Like you go into it, it sounds like being almost expecting it in a sense. So when it happens, you're like, well, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. okay, I'll deal with it. And I'll, I'll sort it out and I'll solve it. And if I need to get some help I'll ask for some help, but there's just this this sort of determination of getting through it, but also this perspective that it doesn't mean something's wrong or it's going to fall apart. It just means that like, that's what happens and how things go is what it sounds like.
1: Absolutely. It, it really does. And and i you know, I'll be honest, when th- things do go wrong, it is nerve wracking. I, <laughs> you know, I, I could be a ball of nerves. And, you know, for example, gosh, it was probably a couple months ago, I had something major happen with my equipment, and it shut back down my shop for a week. And I was pretty scared, you know, and, and, and it really affected me. But, you know, I figured it out. And, and I hope it doesn't happen again, but now I know what to do, you know? So, <laughs> you know, it's not easy, but I'm thankful for, for my wife, especially. She keeps things pretty locked down and, and keeps me grounded. And um, she probably, she holds down the fort, really, let's be honest. And I do really want to spend more time with her and, and Luke. And, and hopefully we can kind of get into um, a little bit better balance going forward.
0: To switch gears a little bit, one of the things that I want to want to talk about briefly, and this is a reference that people who are into MCM stuff will totally get, and other people will be like, what are you talking about? But tell me about how you got featured in Atomic Ranch and how that affected your business.
1: Yeah, I, and I had to pinch myself when they approached me, but I, I simply just opened up my, e- my email one day and one of the um, editors said, hey, you know, we'd like to feature one of your, your signs on one of our um, issues. And thought, well, well yes, heck yeah, <laughs> why not? And so then it wasn't long after that, they said, listen, we've got this modern makers section and we'd really like to, to feature you. And I I couldn't believe it. And I said, absolutely. you know, It's my favorite magazine. And basically I answered some questions and they published it. So I, <laughs> again, I didn't do anything. They approached me. And so I was really flattered. And, and just like you uh, approaching me to do this podcast, like, who oh am I? What, what did I do to deserve this? So it it's just um, sometimes if you're just plugging along, you're doing what you're doing, you're doing the right thing. Some people notice and um, I didn't ever approach them or, or try to pressure them in any way. So in terms of business, you know, I don't know if it added more customers or not. That was kind of hard to have a metric to judge that by because my business had always been growing. And I don't know if it was just Atomic Ranch or it was just the momentum that I had. It definitely didn't hurt things, you know, and it's a feather in my cap. And just one of those things that I, and I save every issue. I put it in a plastic sleeve and save it. And
0: so for, for those of you who don't know, if you're into mid-century stuff at all, Atomic Ranch is a magazine. It's a great magazine. I have subscribed to it as well in the past, and it's got lots of just cool, interesting stuff. It has uh, different businesses that do... MCM related products and things that features them, such as Holly. And so it, it's really worth checking out if you're into that stuff at all. It's like, that's one of the things I can see how for you, that would be such an exciting moment to get approached by them. Like, Hey, we'd like to, like <laughs> to feature you. But I think the thing that I will I'll say, Holly, and this is coming from my own experience of your product and of seeing your things online, is I think this is where for you, it's really clear from looking at your work and how you approach it and all of that. The quality is really clear. The commitment to producing a good product, the customer service is there in a way that I I suspect doesn't really quite register with you, the degree to which it's exceptional and I think that's part of where your growth and this attention that you're getting is coming from because it certainly sticks out to me in context relative to other things I've seen. So that would be my guess, but I can see it maybe one of those things that to you, it's like, well, that's just what you do, right?
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate that. It, it, I take things very personally. Like if somebody's not happy with something, well then I did something wrong. What's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Or if somebody um I, I covet reviews. Like so when somebody leaves a review, it means so much to me. And I look forward to reading each one. And and if I get somebody and it happens, I mean it's it's really a a percentage, it's a small percentage, thank goodness. But there are some people who they will not give five stars, and I've gotten some low ones and I'm confident to say that it's usually something that maybe was out of my control or something that maybe they had a really different expectation and I always try to make it right but if they're still not happy I really take that personally and I take that to heart and I'm really sensitive about that and you know it's my job to really respond and and make sure I am truly listening but there's also some people you can never please too. <laughs> you know, we, we, we all know those people, but there also were some things that it's like, you know what, I can do better, you know, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Here's what I'm going to do. And, and I hope that this makes it right. And I do appreciate them being candid with me that you could do better. And so that's what I just try to do, Steve. That's all I try to do, you know?
0: how do you find the the kind of the the tipping point i guess is what i would say where you know obviously where you're in some cases you're like okay how can i make it better how can i make it right and working to do that but as you said some people just aren't going to be satisfied for any number of reasons perhaps again what the, what they were expecting just is out of line with what your product is or what it's capable of being or any number of other things So how do you find the limit for you of, well, this is as much as I can do here. And this person's just not going to be happy. Number one. And then number two, how do you, I'll say not so much shake those off, but how do you let those go? Cause it sounds like the kind of thing that could really weigh you down.
1: Yeah, no. And you're right. it, It does weigh me down, but I think because they are few and far between and, you know, after something like that happens, all of a sudden then there's, you know, 10 good reviews. So I, it's just kind of a numbers game too. So thankfully it doesn't happen often. And I just try to think, how can I do that better? So I don't get one of those again, you know, even I hate to keep going back to the funeral industry, but that really helped cultivate my my customer service skills because you've got a lot of people who are very resentful to you because you're pretty much at the, the wrong place, at the wrong time. They're, they're very angry. They're upset. They're grieving. And so you're almost apologizing to them for their loved one passing away. So there, there's a lot. I felt like I, I'm i a natural empath, but I felt like I just gave a lot to them. But the ones who come along that say, you know what? You made the biggest difference. We appreciate you. Thank you. That's how you move forward. And thus um, the other ones off your shoulders. That's pretty much it.
0: So there's a couple things here I think that are really interesting. One is just the relevance of your old career to your new career that wouldn't Seem to be the case, but is there? But I too, I'm going to take just a minute to talk about the the industry as we funeral directors and that whole world, because that's something that often people don't have any exposure or experience to until they have a loved one die, right, or until something comes up. And and for me, it, it had been like that until my mother died, and I remember like I was fortunate to get a good referral to a funeral home in her area and they were amazing and it was like i have i have rarely experienced that sort of customer service and that sort of just really present kind empathetic support and after what had been a really challenging period of of a couple of years my mom being sick and that kind of a thing to have that was really just such a relief because there've been so many stressors and tiring things and so i say that mostly to say i i get and hear what you're saying about the importance of it and how much it's a drive. And now to tie this in, this is where, and I say this to people all the time when they look at a career pivot and they're like, yeah, but that's so different. Or like, I can't do something that's totally different. It's like, well, actually you can because you never know what from your old life will be able to be applied to your new one. And what in some cases may turn out to be a secret advantage, And I think that's the thing I'm hearing here is for you, this background, as far as being really caring and concerned about your customers and looking out for them and wanting them to be happy, is something that's so ingrained in you and you've got so much practice at that that becomes a real strength with being attuned to, attentive to your customers with Atomic Avocado.
1: Absolutely, and I, I love how you articulated that. And I never really thought of that correlation, but I think you're absolutely right. And to big, piggyback on that too, I think that you know, with creating these designs, like when when I was a funeral director, part of my job was to create an event that was very meaningful. You know, you've got one chance at it, one funeral service to create a presence to somebody to celebrate somebody's life. Down to what color flowers, what music are we going to listen to? How do we want? people to feel when when you're celebrating the the life of somebody and i try to take that same feeling you know when creating these designs so whether you walk into a room and it could be decorated like olive garden right it could be like not mid-century modern (laughs) but if you have one little nod to it let's say like one nightlight in the bathroom or in the corner it it changes the room and and that's what i was always trying to do and it was actually my favorite part of being a funeral director was really creating a mood and a vibe to really just just to get that feeling of of that loved one's life what they liked to do what was important to them and the same way you know with an address sign somebody walks up to your front door they're going to immediately get a, a first impression like whoa this is what this is kind of what they're all about this is their vibe this is their jam you know and That's what it is. You put your best foot forward. And that's why the word curb appeal exists too. But I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place. But essentially, just like you said, taking your past, integrating it into what you do now, I would I at nineteen twenty? Would I be doing this? I I would have no idea. I mean, things have changed a lot over twenty five years, and I don't think many people stay in the same career these days, you know, or work for the same company. I think that you naturally have to be pretty fluid, and and thank goodness. I mean, I'm happier than ever. I mean, like my wife, my wife and I always say this: just because so, you're good at something doesn't mean that you you were supposed to be doing it. I may have been a good funeral director, but that doesn't mean that I was meant to keep doing that long term. And I, I gave my heart and soul that I, I'm just in a happier place. And, and I hope, like you said, I find my, my niche at this point, you know, and I hope I can keep it going, Steve, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, like I said, every time I check check your Instagram, it seems like there's some, some, new, some new product design or thing that's out there. So are there, well, I guess a couple things is one, what drives your new designs? And then two, and I'm sorry for asking these compound questions, but you're doing a great job of tracking them. So I appreciate that. Of Are there any new things that are forthcoming that you can tell us about or give us a tease for, or like what, what kind of things should we be expecting to see from Atomic Avocado in the future?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think there's a couple things that, that drive me to create new designs. One would be I, I, I get a lot of requests. You know, I get a lot of customers who say, hey, have you thought about doing this or this? And and so that drives a lot. Part of it is just like, I just kind of get a vision in my head of something. Like I'll, I'll maybe see something, not necessarily um, art or anything. I'll maybe see a building or, you know, be looking through Atomic Ranch or I'll just see something that I think, you know what, I, that, I think that would be a really neat if I could kind of create something that gives that same vibe, you know, and so a lot of it's just kind of the, the creative process. And then the third element would probably be right now, while I'm really trying to to build the business and, and gain momentum, I want to offer as many things possible to my followers and my, my customers. Like, you know, I look and I see what other products are out there but nobody has done it with a, a mid-century modern aesthetic. And I think, well, people are craving that. What can I do that most people need or want, you know, even like a tissue box? Well, there's not many things out there to choose from that, that really capture the aesthetic that people are looking for. They're craving, they're absolutely craving these designs that are both, you know, good looking, but also functional. And so here lately, I've been really just trying to put my thumb on A multitude of designs so that I've got a really broad range of things to offer. So I think that in the future, you'll probably see less new items, you know, like like you said, a napkin holder or or, um, business card holder. I think I've pretty much covered most of items that I I want to introduce, but I'll probably likely just introduce different versions of them, you know, different designs. So I've got napkin holders that I could I could make hundreds of different designs for. So just kind of expanding and offering more options. And I mentioned earlier investing into some more equipment to offer larger signs. I do get a lot of requests for larger, bigger signs, but I need bigger equipment to make them. But that also gets exponentially harder <laughs> and more challenging in a lot of different ways. You have to have the room for it. You have to procure supplies, like acrylic, larger sheets of acrylic to be able to facilitate that. So it just kind of keeps growing and growing. And, you know, I'm really busy <laughs> as it is now. And so we'll see. So I would say if anything I would do, it would be larger signs, but I'm not committing to that just yet. And and I have to be very careful, Steve, with giving out too much in terms of, I, I have other competitors out there that try to imitate my designs. And and I was going to talk about this a little bit later too, that a big challenge is really keeping my designs proprietary and trademarked and the copyrights in place because there are some other sellers and other makers, a few of them on Etsy, as soon as I introduce something new, they're very quick to um, replicate it, imitate it or make it really close. So that's something I need to learn more about to really make sure that I am able to offer exclusive designs that are unique, that are the highest quality that, that they can find without someone um, really taking that away so if you can understand what i'm saying you know
0: absolutely and that's i think you make a, a really good point point. and that's i think it's one of the challenges in this internet connected world is you can create a thing and some you know someone else can be copying it and producing some replica of it almost immediately and that creates definitely challenges from an intellectual property copyright trademark standpoint and such as as you've said so yeah that that totally makes sense that's that's a thing where at the same time there's beyond the legal protection aspect, there's also the opportunity of how you differentiate yourself. And I think this is an area where for you, your customer service, your attention to detail, things like, again, how you, how you package is something that really matters to people. And again, to the same people who are going to be willing to pay a higher price for a thing, because they realize that's part of, you know, they're paying for not just, the item, but also the experience of purchasing the item, of getting the item shipped, of how it's being taken care of and such. And that's something that I'm imagining these copycats are probably not doing and can't really do because they're just trying to come up with a cheap copy.
1: Absolutely. I think you're exactly right. And I have had to call a few people out and I, I try to approach it with with kindness too, because I am flattered that that they would imitate it. Like they say, if you're doing it wrong, if two or three people aren't trying to to copy it. Right. But also, you know, I do take it personally, but I need to not do it's just business. I totally get that. But I try to approach it at least I reach out to them personally and say, listen, you know, I think that they're, you're very talented. I think that you've got a lot of other designs to offer. This happens to be mine, but I try to be just very cordial because I, I do mean it. I mean it that you don't need to, to copy mine. You've already got some really nice things. And for the most part, people are very receptive to that. And in fact, this just happened yesterday. Somebody had a, a neon sign that was a replica of my cocktail sign. And I just simply approached him and said something about it and um, problem solved. So I think that there's always a way to get your message across, but you don't have to be mean about it or crass and and like you said, all I can do is do the best that I can and provide a good product, you know, and, and hopefully people will continue to um, see the value of that, you know.
0: It's sometimes surprising to folks, but you've just given an example of it, of how sometimes just fairly straightforward, kind, clear confrontation can be pretty effective. And that's, that's what I'm hearing here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to be very transparent and you just gotta be nice. I mean, it's not that hard. I wish some people would would do that. Like I had even been approached years ago by someone who sold mailboxes, and because my wording said "mid-century modern mailbox," okay, so those two words, "modern mailbox," together that infringed on his trademark because that's the name of his company, right? And so in, instead of approaching me at the very beginning. It was reported to Etsy, and it's like, whoa! If all you had to do was message me, and I would have gladly just changed the wording. It's it's not a problem. So I kind of learned from that. I don't want to do that to somebody else. You know, I'm not gonna get far doing that. I wouldn't feel good about myself doing that. And so I've just tried to shift my my focus to um, to just being cordial and and again it, it's not hard to do. you can sleep better at night because of it and um, that's just the only way I know how to do it now.
0: I think it's definitely it's again it's it's a strategy that is more effective than I think a lot of people expect but it's also one that can be hard to come from when you are busy being upset, offended, concerned, frustrated with the fact that someone has uh, whether intentionally or accidentally or whatever that someone seems to be you know copying or stealing your work. So yeah, it can, it can make it hard to not come at it from a, a place that's kind of heated up, even though that's rarely an effective way to, to do so.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's gonna continue to happen. And so kind of like we talked about earlier, just you're gonna expect problems. Go ahead and expect that it's gonna come up again. But I do try to just kind of peruse and keep tabs on on that and you know, just see what else is out there. I'm always kind of keeping my eyes and ears open. And I truly do think that, there's room for everybody and everybody has something unique to offer. I go to great lengths to make sure that everything I create is original and unique. And I just hope that other people would do the same. And and if, if we would all do that, then, you know, we'd be as as successful as you can ever be. You know, there's just, people have so many great ideas. I think
0: that's a a mindset thing which you've, you've, illustrated right and like there's there's so many ideas there's there's plenty of room for everyone all, all of this is probably a good a stepping point for switching gears as, as you know from um, some of our interactions before for this call one of the things i like to do in my podcast interviews is put on my coach hat for a few minutes and talk with my guests about something specific in their business that they're kind of wrestling with so is there something that falls into that category that you'd like to explore a little bit here today
1: I've kind of jumped around so much that some of it kind of came out earlier, like even just what like we were just talking about, you know, like your competitors really kind of staying ahead of them or or keeping your designs original and proprietary. That's a real challenge. That's probably the the biggest thing. But again, we kind of talked through that. But I I don't have anything particular, but I, I bet you're a wealth of knowledge. Now I feel like I'm losing an opportunity here.
0: <laughs> well, well, so, so let me ask you, let me ask a question here and see if this helps spark anything. So as you think about a typical week for you to the degree that there is such a thing, what in a typical week is the area where you find yourself feeling either most stuck, frustrated, or concerned as it relates to your business right now?
1: I would say, um, Probably the most challenging in terms of that would be when, especially when I'm busy, when I've got a lot of orders to produce and someone wants a commission design. Commission designs, it's a little bit different than custom. You know, everything I make essentially is made to order and custom. You know, they pick up the colors and if you kind of tweak design, but brand new, start from scratch designs, are very challenging for me, because I simply don't have the time to do them. And, and maybe that's kind of a roundabout way to say really time management that, that I feel like I can't relax or rest unless I have absolutely everything done at the end of the day. And I want my inbox to be empty. But (laughs) my wife tells me this all the time. the inbox is always full, it's never going to be completely empty. And so I think just for me, letting it go, do I just not respond after 5pm? You know, I try to do that. But I, I could be I could be a lot better at that, Steve, you know, so if you have any tips for really work life balance, that's probably one thing I really need to, to hone in on, you know,
0: well, tell me a little bit, if you would, about the discomfort for you with setting that boundary of, okay, it's after five o'clock, I'm ignoring my inbox and those sorts of things. What makes that uncomfortable or difficult
1: for you? I think because I'm I'm just a, a perfectionist, I'm very particular. I want I don't want anything hanging over my shoulder. Like if something needs to be done, I do it. You know, I, I don't procrastinate. And so I feel like if I'm shutting down the shop at 5 p.m. and not going till 7, I'm procrastinating till the next day. Like, I I just, I like to have it clean, wrapped up, done, you know, (laughs) done, (laughs) son. So I don't know if it's just in my nature.
0: Okay. So, but you know, Christmas is going to roll around this year in December and (laughs) you haven't done your Christmas shopping yet. So are you procrastinating on that right now?
1: (laughs) That's a good point, Steve. Touche, touche. You're right. You're right.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I've given you a hard time with it with an extreme example but but I, I hear you but I think that, that that labeling of it right as procrastination causes it to take on a weight that it doesn't necessarily deserve. And now in this this is a particular case where I can directly comment in, in a related way and this is not not usually an opportunity I have. If I'm recalling correctly, I think I sent you the initial email I sent you—it was probably on a Saturday or Sunday evening. What I remember is I was making dinner. That's the one thing I remember because I was in my kitchen, and I was—I was just like, okay, I was just looking while I was, you know, waiting for something, whatever. And I was shocked to get an email back. I was—I was not—I was like, I'll probably hear from her on, you know, Monday or whatever, and that's fine. I was like, I was not expecting the speed that I got. And then when I replied to your reply to get another reply, I remember thinking, on the one hand, I was like, well, this is really cool. On the other hand, I was like. This person's gonna burn herself out if she's not careful because i you know it, it's it's like it's great, but it's I was not at all what I would have expected i don't i yeah. understand people have limits people have lives right so I think this is a case where you're doing something that has sure a nice benefit people appreciate it, but I don't know that it's necessary because I think what's happening is you might be not paying attention to the, the, the other cost, right? There's the, there's the, the piece of attending to your, to your customers, but then there's the looking at when you are responding to customer emails, what are you not doing in those moments?
1: Oh man, that's a great point. It really is. Cause I should be fixing dinner when I'm doing that. And, and my wife would be with you a hundred percent. In fact, I am too. And so I, sometimes it's like we have to hear it from a, a third party, not somebody that you're closest with. So I, I really take that advice to heart. And and you're right, because you're also, you're sending a message to your customers that, like you said, while they appreciate it, they're kind of like, well, that's weird. What Are you obsessed with work or what? You know, that type of thing. And so that's not sending a good message, is it? And the thing is, I can always catch up. Like, I always do, so I don't know why I feel the need to, to get it done right away. So absolutely. You're right. I I really appreciate that
0: here. And here's a couple of things related to this that you, that you might play with. I'm, I'm a big fan of experiments and I would encourage you to design here an experiment around boundaries because that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about boundaries and so design an experiment and here's, here's what it might look like, right? Just take this and adapt it as needed is you could say, I'm not going to look at email between, you know, this hour and this hour at least on these days, I might even be like, I'm just going to do that three days a week or whatever. It doesn't matter. And I'm going to try that for probably like two weeks. I like I like two weeks because that's long enough to gather some data, but it's not so long as if it's not going well to to abandon it, but whatever timeline works. And then after that period, plan to just sit down and go, okay, how was that, right? How did, what worked, what didn't work, what were their problems or whatever, but also along the way, pay attention To what happens. And this is the cool part because if you do this right, there's literally no way of failing because one of two things will happen. You'll either follow through on your plan and your boundary, and you can pay attention to what feelings come up, and there will probably be some feelings of discomfort that you can then dig into and process or you might not follow through. And then you can look at what's going on behind that. And you can use that as an opportunity to learn and figure out where and why boundaries are challenging for you, which will help you be able to be more thoughtful about them. So at some point, it's all data. The key is really seeing it as that and using it. But for you as someone who, as you, as we talked about earlier, kind of recognizes and expects things will come up, things will happen. I think that that idea is something that will probably be easier for you to implement than it is for a lot of folks.
1: Oh, that's yeah. Very well said. And and I will take that to heart and I, I'll report back to you for sure. I've-
0: no, absolutely. You need to, need to let me know how it goes. Um, you can, you know, you can, you can tell Dawn I've got her back <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she, oh, <laughs> looking yeah. out, looking out, looking out for her and, and, and some balance. Okay, <laughs> So does that give you something to, something to, to take and play with in working on this, this boundaries life work balance piece that you can take and try and put into action and see what happens?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. No, I mean, I don't even know what to say because I know that you're absolutely right. And so I, I will definitely do that. And I'm a doer. You know, I promise I do what I say I'm going to do. So
0: <laughs> which is which is, I think, part of why you've been been successful as you're you're a doer, as you put it, I said action takers, right? You're you're an action taker. Uh, you put these things into action, you um, are persistent following through and looking out for your customers. So there's a, there's a combination of ingredients here that really supports success. And then to add in the piece of a relatively targeted Niche area where you have connections, you're, you know, are able to to show up and, and be there. So it's a, um, I think it's been a, a pretty powerful mix for you. Now, Holly, for people who want to learn more about you, to see all these wonderful products that you make and all of that, where's the best way for them to find you?
1: Really, you know, the platform that I offer everything in one place really, truly is my Etsy shop. And so it's, you could you could just go to etsy.com and search Atomic Avocado Designs and and you'll find my shop. But I really like to I'm really enjoying Instagram because I can really share new things, maybe things that are different, that maybe were a custom or commissioned piece that you wouldn't normally see in my shop. I, I do have a website, but that that basically tells a little bit about you know what we offer, but you know, from a, a business standpoint, it's very it's very hard to really set up an online store. That's why I really enjoy Etsy because it's very user friendly. Customers can rest assured that it's it's a safe place to buy. They can communicate with me very quickly there. So I will likely always have my storefront there. But yeah, I would say Etsy and, and Instagram are are the way to go. And I, I have a lot of followers on on both. And you know, you know me. I, I respond to my messages too, so they can <laughs> they can always um, you know message me at either place. It'll go right to my phone, <laughs> but not after five. <laughs>
0: I recommend the Instagram. It's a good, um, it's a good follow. I'll put links for both of those in the show notes here, so um, everyone can can catch those um, as well as a few other other references. I'll have to include a link to Atomic Ranch for people who are curious about the magazine and to learn more about it. It's well worth picking up if you're into mid-century stuff at all. So, Holly, I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to um, to talk to me and uh, to share about your story and the work you're doing. Um, there's so much good stuff here for people who are doing small business or thinking about small business, because there's just a lot of elements in your story and what you're doing that I think they can that they can use and come from. And plus for me, just on a personal level, it's great to hear a little bit more of the backstory behind you and your work and how it's come to be. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to talk to you about all that.
1: I appreciate that, Steve. And, and this is a really fun first for me. And and again, I'm humbled and flattered you would even ask me. And uh, I just want everybody to know that I'm really grateful that I wouldn't be telling this story, you know, if if my customers really didn't enjoy those designs. And, and that means a lot to me because I really love them and I love making them. And I'm so glad that that people give me the opportunity to to make them, and you know, I just want—I don't want to let them down either. You know, I I, I feel I, I want to meet their expectations, and and um, again, just for you to be able to let me tell my story, because I know a lot of people have a good a lot of good stories, and I could learn a lot from actually listening to your podcast. So you've kind of turned me on to something that I. I've never done before or listened to before. So thank you.
0: Thanks again. I look forward to seeing the new designs and things that, that show up on Instagram and in Etsy and look forward to um, hearing about your uh, your two-week experiment as
1: well. This has been a delightful experience and I really appreciate it.